0: Yeah, aboriginal text. So hear the gospel, I invite us all to stand, <laughs> and hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Saint Matthew. Glory to you, Lord. So Creator sets free, that is Jesus, then began to help the people see how the full meaning and purpose of the law and the prophets applied to them. Respect towards all. You have heard that our ancestors were told long ago Do not take another person's life, and whoever does will have to answer to the tribal council. But I tell you, everyone who is angry toward a fellow human being will have to give an answer to the tribal council. If they speak with disrespect to someone saying, you hollow head, they will also face the tribal council. If they curse someone by saying, you damn fool, they may end up in the valley of smoldering fire. So if you are offering a gift at the Creator's Ceremonial Lodge, and there remember that a tribal member has something against you, leave your gift and go make things right. Then you can come back and finish the ceremony. Resolving Conflict with Dignity If someone has a complaint against you and takes you before the village council, work out an agreement before you get there. You know how to decide things for yourselves. The council might decide against you and turn you over to the ones who have the power to put you in prison. The truth is, there is no way out of there until honor has been restored. Honoring our women. And this is an explanatory note. Most women in the time of Creator sets free were dominated by men and were often treated as property and looked down on with disrespect. So he said to the men, you have heard the saying, you must not have sexual relations with another man's wife. But I tell you this, any man who looks at a woman and wants his way with her has already done so in his heart. This is not how the Great Spirit wants us to see our sisters. If your right eye causes, sees in this way, gouge it out and throw it away. If your right hand does harm to her, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into the valley of smoldering fire. Drawn from water, that is Moses, said, If you put away your wife, you must give her divorce papers. Let me tell you why. Anyone who puts away his wife without giving her divorce papers makes her unfaithful when she remarries, unless she was already unfaithful. Then anyone who marries her is having sexual relations with another man's wife. In those days, men would put away their wives without divorcing them, leaving them destitute and unable to properly remarry. No solemn promises. You have heard the ancestors were told when you make a solemn promise, you must keep it to honor the Great Spirit. But I say this to you do not make any solemn promises. Do not say, I promise by the spirit world above, for it is Creator's seat of honor. Or, I promise by the earth below, which is the resting place for his feet. Or, I promise by village of peace, that is Jerusalem, for it belongs to the great spirit chief. Do not even say, I promise by my own head. Can you make even one hair on your head become white or black? Your simple yes or no is enough. To say more is to speak with a forked tongue like the evil trickster snake. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you, O Christ. Lord, I pray now that you would help us to lay aside any distractions so that we can be attentive to your word. And our heart's desire, Lord, is to follow in your way that we might be agents of healing and blessing in this troubled world. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Um, This week, uh, Kimberly and I were able to meet with uh, a couple of uh, educational assessors. And in our conversation, we talked about emotional zones. Now, aside from Donna, does anyone know what the emotional zones are? Nobody? Nobody? Oh, Heather does? Okay. Kimberly does. Well, let's just go home then. Um, these, these are the emotional zones. And, and, and teachers are, are paying attention to this because it's helping students identify how they're feeling and it's helping teachers to identify how ready a student is to learn. So we have the blue zone, which is kind of like a depressed kind of place with not a lot of emotional activity. People are sick, they're tired, they're bored, they're disengaged. A good place to be is the green zone where people are content, they're focused, they're feeling good, they're ready to learn. That's where we want to be. The yellow zone is when things start to become unhealthy again, where there's sort of elevated emotions. There could be, this could be an ecstatic kind of manic place where you're too happy to focus. It could also be that you're frustrated with your work. You might be feeling a little fear or trepidation. You're not in a place where you're ready to learn. And then there is a problematic phase, which is the red zone. And this is where people start to act out. They hit, they yell, they growl. They do things that are just not conducive to having a healthy workspace. Then one of these assistants said to us in our conversation, she said, it's an ethical failure when we let students go from yellow to red. If we can't intervene before there's an acting out of emotion, then we failed that kid. Not only that, but I'm sure the classroom because it's just not a safe place to be. Jesus came to fulfill the law. We talked about that last week, how he came not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And the thing with the law is that it prohibits red zone actions, except on a bigger scale, murder, (laughs) adultery, covetousness, all these things that are really damaging to a community. The law says don't do those things. But Jesus says, let's get to the heart of the matter. It's not that you, you know, had a major bout of road rage and did violence to someone else. It's that you weren't in a place of balance and peace before you got in the car that morning. So we need a heart transformation. So a fulfilled law is to get beyond the rule to the spirit of the law, which is a matter of the heart and our our wellness there. So, today I'd like to look at these different things. It's a big gospel passage today, so I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail, but just sort of summarize what's happening here. But I do want to highlight one thing. It says, Jesus says, You have heard it said, and it was ingrained in them, the law. But I tell you. And what this shows is that Jesus is taking authority here, and that this is the teaching we really need to follow. You have heard it said, it's all true. But I tell you, and in many cases, go further, go deeper. So let's take a look. Is there anybody here who, in middle school, had to read the story called "The Hand"? Did did anyone? Okay, I want to share with you a horrible story. Does this sound good? There was once upon a time there was a great big giant of a man who was a miner. He was strong, and he had a temper. If he lost his temper, he would hit people, he would destroy rooms. It was really ugly. But one day, this giant of a man met a tiny little woman who was the exact opposite. She was she embodied peace and joy. She was a great, a great person. And lo and behold, opposites attract. It's a song of the 80s, it's gotta be true. They got married. And she had a profoundly good impact on this man. He went from these storming rages everywhere and it was reduced to just one swing of the fist when he got angry. He would just, every time something didn't go his way, he would turn and swing. But that would be it. Everyone thought, what an improvement, this is good. Until one day he was in the marketplace and he was haggling haggling with someone about something and things didn't go his way and he turned and swung. And his bride was behind him. And he hit her and knocked her out. And in the story, he picks up his wife, and he takes her home, lays her on the bed, and he goes out to the woodshed, children, cover your ears, takes a hatchet, and cuts off his hand. I had to read that in middle school. It's been with me ever since. Now it'll be with you. <laughs> the problem with that story is that he blamed his hand for the act. But the, the act started in his heart. And he needed a heart transplant, not, not chopping off something. The root of murder and anger is anger and hate. And when we are finding that we are impatient with someone, that should be a warning sign. It shouldn't be something to condemn us, but to say, whoa, there's something wrong here. Uh, I've I, I worked out something with Bruce McKenna that when I'm in traffic and I get impatient, that is a warning like, that things are not as they should be. I'm aware of it now that when I get impatient or say things I shouldn't in traffic, I need to take some, something out of balance. But these things, if left unchecked, it's on the way to murder. That seems ridiculous, right? Well, C.S. Lewis points out that we weren't designed to live for 80 years or 120 years, we were designed to live for eternity. So a little problem like not being a good morning person might be a, you know a problem if unchecked in eighty years, but if you think about three thousand years, what kind of monster will you be? We need corrective action. We need to be transformed. And so Jesus is looking at the heart, and he goes that that being when we wrong people and when we do things that are unhealthy or unhelpful, we need to take ownership of that. And so. He says, if you travel from Galilee, which is like a day and a half walk, to go and offer an animal at at the temple and find out, oh my goodness, I offended my neighbor, I can't believe I did that, Jesus says, stop what you're doing, go back a day and a half, be reconciled, and then come back. Because being reconciled is part of worship. It's part of it, it's not something in addition to, it's what we are called to do. If we realize we are in the wrong, we need to go make things right. Uh, and so and so, if you, so, it says if you, um, if you don't keep this in check, if you are angry with people all the time and, you, and you're not living a peaceful life with people, you're in danger of the valley of smoldering fire, as it said in this thing. What is that? In the NIV it says hell. But the Greek word is Gehenna, which is a... Uh, actually, I have a picture of it terrifying. That's Gehenna. Back in Jesus' day, this was a smoldering dump. Before Jesus' day, this was a place of idolatrous sacrifice where children were laid on the altar. It was a horrible place then, and it was a place where people were cast out there. Now I'd be like, man, I wouldn't mind having a picnic there. That's kind of nice. But in Jesus' day, that was a place where people were disowned and cast off because they were not safe in the community. Uh, a long time ago, uh, the day I was ordained as a priest, I snapped at my sexton, Gordon. And I remember, I, he it's a long story, I was in a grumpy, grumpy mood and I was trying to get ready for worship and he said something to me about me stopping to go help with something else and I had already helped enough already that day. And I snapped at him. And I, then I realized, I'm going to be ordained as a, as a priest today. And I just treated this person like garbage. So I went to Gordon. I'm like, Gordon? He goes, yes, yeah. said, what I said to you was unkind, I took out my frustration about this on you, and that's not okay. And I'm really sorry. And he was shocked because nobody does that. Very rarely does that happen. But it's so important. It's, it's, it's central to who we are. We're going to look at why in a moment. So in the same way um, we're to be reconciled to people, we're trying to be making friends with people instead of of things. So if someone has a complaint against you and takes you before the village council, work it out before you get there. When you are in conflict with someone, you know it better than anyone else, better than any judge or council. So if you can have an attitude of, I want to be reconciled instead of, I want to be proven right, this is, is really important for us. Um, One of the things that has come out of the Aboriginal tradition is healing circles, and they've been adapted to be restorative practices. When we have hurt someone, it is life-changing to go to that person and say, this happened. How did it affect you? And to hear how it affected them, and then to express remorse at having done it. And then this is the life-changing bit. How can I make it right? I want to make it right. The gospel of this world says you are perfect just the way you are. It's the way God made you. You don't need to change. You're perfect just the way you are. That's not true. We're broken. We're imperfect. But I say we're blessedly imperfect. And when we take off the burden of trying to be perfect all the time, we can acknowledge that even when I mess up, and I do mess up, God loves me. And God loves me so much, he doesn't want to leave me there. He wants me to grow up in his love and to mature in his love. There's good news in that fulfilled life is not reaching perfection. Fulfilled life is found in repenting and being reconciled where broken bridges, burnt down bridges are rebuilt and, and relationships are restored. So when we, when we are in conflict with people, our heart's desire needs to be reconciliation. N.T. Wright talks about this with Jerusalem because they wanted Rome to be punished for their oppression instead of trying to adapt and to live in that way. We move on to honoring our women. And I found this the most helpful in this translation because it, it really sheds light on what was actually going on there. Now in Jesus' day, rabbis used to, um, uh, rabbis used to, all the time, they would um, use hyperbole. They'd use an exaggerated statement to say, this is how important this is. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this. And it's not just men to women, it's, it's women to men and everything. When we look at others... Do we do so through a lens of love and respect or do we objectify people? That's the question. When we look at other people, do we do so as as an image bearer of God more than anything else? Adultery doesn't just happen. It's a heart issue. It's a wounded issue. It's something that we lean into over time. And we need to be in check with our hearts, our broken hearts, before we get there and doing the hard work of being faithful. And so we're going to carry on from there because we're running out of time. <laughs> um, and Moses said um, we have to talk now about, about divorce and, uh, and, and uh, marriage. And so <laughs> I have a question for us what is marriage? Really? It's a promise between two people. Yeah, it's a promise. And that promise means that you're going to love, you're going to honor, you're going to provide. So when you have those three things in a, in a, in a, in a relationship, you have a marriage. A Christian marriage is more. It's a promise to help the other follow Jesus more closely and to be a sacrament to embody the love of God, the faithful love of God for the world around. Now here's the thing if you take away the love and you take away the honor and you take away the provision, you don't have a marriage. You have a broken marriage. For for many years the church has done a disservice at times when in an abusive situation they said you've got to stay with your husband. Well, that's not a marriage, guys. And divorce is, it grieves the heart of God. Don't, don't make any mistake. But a divorce is there to protect people because from an abusive situation. What is a divorce? It's saying we are no longer married. You are free to go off and marry whomever you choose. That's what a divorce is. And it is something that Jesus says elsewhere that this, Moses wrote this law because of our hardness of heart, because we are broken people. There needed to be a provision of protection. And what's happening here in this passage is, and I love this translation, is out of spite, they were saying, well, you're done. I don't have to help you. I don't have to protect you. And in a patriarchal society, if a woman didn't have a grown-up son or a father or a husband, they were in a very precarious situation. And it was one way for a guy, a spiteful guy, to spite, to show spite for his former partner. And it was wrong. There are times where divorce is sadly necessary and actually is a way to protect people. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he's basically saying, don't be filled with spite and seek to love people even when relationships break down and it's not healthy. This is about damage control. The final thing we have here is no solemn promises. I have to share something very troubling with you. Um, In the past week or two, something unthinkable happened in our home. It's hard to talk about, and I can't give any names because I don't want to incriminate someone I love. But in our house, a pinky promise was broken. That which is most sacred of promises was disregarded and just spat upon. Done. Over with. So, I won't say who, but anyway, pray for us. <laughs> no solemn promises. What's the big deal with these promises? Is that what happens here is that this gives a loophole for the dishonest. And these kind of vows and promises, they just waste a whole lot of headspace. I was trying to use a, a program the other day and it was glitching out and it was slow and things weren't happening the way it's supposed to happen and I realized it needed an update. I needed to update the software and then everything worked well again. Well, one person says, I swear by the temple, this is true and I'll do this. The next person says, no, I swear by the gold of the temple that I'll do this because you know, the, the temple can't bind you to anything. This is a bunch of foolishness. Jesus says, just be upfront and honest. Yes for yes, no, no. For no, you will say you will. You won't say you won't. Simple, right? I love how this passage ends. To say more is to speak with a forked tongue like the evil trickster's steak. I love that. So here we come back to where we started. Jesus wanted to fulfill the law, which was more, more than prohibiting bad actions. He wanted people to be in a place of abundant life. And that means stopping before we allow anger or spite or dishonesty to dehumanize us and those around us. Jesus invites us into this new way of being in his kingdom and we are invited to join in that way which is made possible by his grace. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that in Jesus you show us the fulfilling of the law. And we pray now, Lord, that you would reveal to us, in the context of your love, any way in which we are wayward in our thinking or our living. And Lord, we we ask this so that you may give us grace to turn from these things in our brokenness and turn to you for healing and restoration. We pray, Lord, that you would so reign in our hearts that we would be the blessing you've called us to be in this troubled world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.